You're never going to think of that moment the same way again. Never. <laughs> I get like a cease and desist from phantom management. They're like, please remove this part of your podcast. <laughs> they might. They very well might. Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Media. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 5, The Things I Have to Do for My Art, featuring Broadway trailblazer Patricia Phillips. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Stage Door Medium. I'm your host, Jimmy. Um, thank you for joining us today. If you're new to the podcast, I just always like to just a quick um, synopsis. Essentially, I sit down with Broadway artists that I've done readings for, and then we talk about the parallels between our work. So boom, short and sweet. So welcome. Somebody had given me the feedback. They're like, we really want to learn more about the mediumship aspect or specific questions. So I'm now fielding questions first just about mediumship, and then we'll blend it. So the question that I got was a really good one. Um, it was about skeptics, and are skeptics hard to read? Because depending on what you search, I, it, it's a great question. There's so many different answers out there, too. Sometimes people will say yes, and that I was just watching this one British one, and you know, she was like, um, I, I, you know, I'll never read a skeptic because a skeptic will truly put a wall up in front of themselves and they'll shut the reading down. It's not true. Um, truthfully, the only thing that will shut down a reading with a skeptic is me, is the medium, because I will do it to myself. So imagine, because what will happen is if we're sitting in front of somebody and I'm like, I have a father energy here. And they're like, I have somebody that would have died from the chest, but this feels like the father energy, and they're doing this. I think naturally as humans, we crave validation in whatever we do. So if we have somebody just doing this, it starts to mess with us. So the skeptic's fine and dandy. It's me. I start putting the wall up around myself because I think, oh, I'm, I must not be doing a good job, or he's not connecting. And you know, just yesterday, I, I read somebody that was like a self-professed skeptic, and it was... Obviously, I can't discuss it, but it was one of the most beautiful readings that I've I've ever had the privilege to do. And um, to me, skepticism, we sometimes equate with being rude. And I always say, like, it's not the same. If you're going to come in rude, I will shut the reading down immediately. I'll say, look, we can end this. You want to give your time to somebody else that, you know, I would be happy to read somebody who's going to be kind and respectful. Skepticism, come in a skeptic. I, I, I think healthy skepticism in anything is um is 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 uh, is is good but you know it's the same thing if you, if you had um like our next guest if i were to come in for some odd reason go i'm skeptical of her talent and she's belting out these e6s in front of me and you're like this the skeptic's fine it doesn't impact their performance or you know their viewing of the show it starts to get into the performer's head so you really have to like that's why i talk about mediums having to like thicken their skin sometimes and and just go it's going to be great. Just, you know, be polite and be kind to your medium. So that's that. So we have such a great guest today, and I can't wait to fill you in on this cool story about how we almost met but didn't, and we were able to reconnect, and now we're here today. So, gosh, her credits are just crazy. So um, uh, she was in the, the Broadway production of La Boheme, The Secret Garden, like The Secret Garden with the, with the late, great Rebecca Luker, The Sound of Music, 
Kinky Boots, Phantom, and a couple different, you know, couple different versions. The Toronto version, which I think I saw, um, with with her in it. Um, uh, gosh, the the New York Philharmonic production of Sweeney Todd. Just so many. Just the epitome of kindness as well. So please help me in welcoming the incredibly talented Patricia Phillips to our show today. Oh, Hi, Patricia. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. That's how, so kind of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how how are you? How how have you been doing? I am good. It's been a hectic year for us all, but uh, home stretch for me in terms of teaching. And my son is about to graduate from college on Sunday. Oh my gosh! So wow. I am feeling pretty pretty happy right now. I'm really I'm really really happy. Are they doing a uh, like a digital graduation, or is it are they able to be in person now? Well, I can't be there. They're doing a graduation. He's and I have to say this. I'm really proud. He's graduating from my alma mater, which is Carnegie Mellon, oh my gosh. and he's actually getting his degree in international relations and politics, um, so not in the arts. And um, he, what Carnegie Mellon is doing is they're letting the kids, uh, just the students, be in the stadium, socially distant, and I guess with masks on, so no parents are allowed sure. to be there. So I'm not even exactly sure how he's actually going to get his diploma, but. You know, that's that's the details of it all. So that's so oh congratulations. It's it's David, right? That's right. David, congratulations wow. to to David. Oh yay. See Thank that you. I, re- I remember certain things from the reading, the rest I don't. So um yeah, for our students right now, they're they're releasing like with with Cuomo like daily releasing like new guidance and stuff. I I feel bad because they keep kind of they're trying to expand it now to be more flexible for parents that really want to see their students graduate, you know, from high school. Yeah. And because if you don't know, if you're listening in, I full time, I'm a teacher. Um, I love what I do, but um, I, I also love what I do as a medium. So we spoke earlier before we started filming. You're from Co- Colorado. You went to Carnegie Mellon. How, how how did you get the bug? Like was like because I think of you now with with musical theater, but did was it always that way? Was this for classical? Like, how did you, oh, tell me. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a very, very cute story. Um, then it changed my life, absolutely. I um, was raised by a, a Roman Catholic Italian mom, and I was put into private Catholic school. And uh, for all the years I was there, we were always taught by nuns. But in my la- my eighth grade year, we got a new music teacher who was not a nun. And she played the piano, and she wore long eye—she false eyelashes, and she smoked on her breaks. And she decided she was going to put on a musical. And she literally had every kid in the school like she brought them over to stand next to her. She taught them a line or two, and we sang. And the next day, it was announced I was going to play Nancy in Oliver in the eighth grade. In the <laughs> and, and that's all you need to know about me, Jimmy. <laughs> so the rest is history. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. Oh my gosh! Um, so then, uh, well, it's also interesting that you bring up eighth grade. Eighth grade was magic for me too because that's when I first discovered. Excuse me, I had I had perfect pitch because we had a music teacher, which I didn't know until later on as like a rarity. Um, which is also interesting because I, I, growing up, I, I had and still kind of have a hearing problem. So anyway, long story short, Phantom, it's so neat to be speaking with you today, talk about Full Circle. I remember that cassette, that black cassette, the two cassettes that I wore out. And I remember when I started trying to learn 
how to play the, the sheet music and, and whatnot before I even had the sheet music. Um, I would memorize. I was like, oh, the overture, the first note is B flat. And then when they find Pianji's body, it's A. And then the same thing for when the body drops, but then the entract is E. So as bizarre as it sounds, I taught myself, I think through memorization, it, it reinforced what I had. So I had this music teacher, eighth grade, who was asking us, does anyone know what these notes are? And like, you know, none of them did. And I'm like, like B flat. I'm like, oh, this is A, because I was able to go to that cassette in my brain. And she pulled me aside and she's like, can I test some notes? And she would, you know, she would, she played a C and I'm like, hold on, this is the end of act one when the chandelier is about to come down. So I was like, C. And she was like, you really have this, you know, she was so wonderful. Like, like, like yours, but she's, I think fostered something that I didn't know was there. So for you high school, then did you go on from there? You got the bug and you, you performed throughout high school. I did. Um, interestingly enough. So the role of Nancy is a very belty, low chest voiced role the next year, she was teaching at the high school where I went, same teacher, and she put me in the role of Mother Abbess in The Sound, Sound of, of music. music. And I was like, I don't sing high. And she's like, oh, yes, you do. And so from there, um, then I went, then I my parents got divorced, and I went then to the public high school, which the people that went to my public high school are Sierra Bogus. Um, so like the theater is now named after, not after me, it's a Sierra Borges Theater, anyway, <laughs> hi Sierra. Um, but we had this, this incredible, uh, drama teacher who ran the theater program and that was George Washington High School in Denver, Colorado. Woo woo. And, um, she did four productions a year. So we did a musical and a play in the fall and a musical oh and a God. play in the spring. Like, God bless that woman. On. Like that's, that's crazy. Like I do, I do one with yeah. my students and I'm like ready to drop dead um, by the, by the end of it. It's so, it's so, yeah. and it's funny. I remember as a student, it was a lot for as a student, but then to be on the other side where doing like, we don't have a, a person building the sets. It was like, my, my husband and I building the sets and doing the direction and sometimes the choreography, if it was easier and accessible to me, like it's, it's hard. So this woman yeah. sounds like a saint. Oh my gosh. Well, but she had everybody on board. There was a, a, a man on the faculty who did the sets and then the woman who ran the choir taught the music. Yep. And then the man who directed the band orchestra, he conducted right. the orchestra. So she had a full, full-on team everybody was you know down with doing it and there i don't know what that meant for them in terms of compensation i don't know if they got extra or if that was just part of their um, package yeah. um but it was a very you know comprehensive program and then denver also did this program where they they would do something called summer theater and we only had like at that point i think 10 or 11 public high schools and we would all get together and do one show in the summer and like I did um, Brigadoon, of course, uh, and of course, then I played Fiona and Brigadoon, and I played Sister Sarah and Guys and Dolls because yeah. I had this high voice. But then I also played Rose and Bye Bye Birdie. But um, another really famous person I worked with in this production of Brigadoon was Don Cheadle, who is exceptionally. <laughs> oh, like no, yeah. no big deal. Like, 
yeah, but you know, his career, my career, whatever. And um, uh, so we had this, like, we had this really healthy and vibrant and, you know, this, this amazing theatrical wow. program going on in Denver. But I really, I knew that I enjoyed singing and I am so old that when I was applying for colleges, we had, it was literally a piece of paper that you filled out and did some check marks. I'm auditioning. I want to do this. Yeah. And you literally wrote it. You had a couple lines like, I love music, whatever you wrote. And, um, literally put it in, put a stamp on it and mailed it. Mailed it. And, uh, so I auditioned for the music program at Carnegie Mellon. Cause I was like, I like singing the best. Yeah. So did you, did you study opera then and classical or did, was it just musical theater? Like were they different, different programs? I'm assuming, I'm sorry. I don't know as much about that as I should. Oh, well, everybody I think does it a little differently, but Carnegie Mellon definitely has a school of music and a school of drama. And I was in the school of music and I was studying classical okay. voice. And, uh, so that's what I did and, uh, got my equity card at, um, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera a few years after I had graduated. And if you're listening at home and you're more into the into the mediumship aspect, and so many times if you've heard the term equity dropped and you're like, what the frig is that? Equity is a, is is the the union um, is the union that that um, you know any folk that you, a person that you would see on Broadway would belong to. And if, you know, it, for mediums, it's interesting. There's sometimes you'll see folks that will be like registered medium. I'm just gonna tell you straight up, like they're. It doesn't, like when you see people at Lilydale, I've spoken about Lilydale, where you can train, it's like registered medium. I'm like, it, I don't mean this really. It doesn't really mean anything. Like it's not like, you could have the best medium in the world and they're probably not registered. For Lilydale, you have to basically do a reading in front of like the council um, and to prove your validity and, um, and, and things like that. But once you're registered, I mean, outside of Lilydale, no offense to them, it doesn't mean anything. Unlike equity. If you're listening at home, I have not had the privilege yet of seeing Patricia, who's also, we, we'll talk about this in a little bit, first person of color to play Carlotta in, in Phantom. And, but I'm going to tell you a fun story. This is just how magical and kind Patricia is. So I was 19 working at Calvin Klein. And um, I remember I was going to... I was going to New York with uh, the college. The theater program had done like a, a costume. It was specifically a costume tour of New York. So we went backstage at Wicked and um, we went to downtown where they made all the Victoria's Secret wings. I forgot the name of the studio. Um, Tim Gunn had an office there. So anyway, I was going to see Phantom and I was like, I wonder if they ever do backstage tours. Me, this like ballsy 19 year old, not even, I'm like, I, 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 see your I see the cast list and I'm like I'm gonna write her a letter and I'm like I wonder if she'll do it and now mind you also at the time your your phone number was there and I didn't realize that that was for representation like to, to call for like about work but I I was like no don't call just write a letter good thing I could you have imagined I'm like hello I, you don't know me but I'm calling for a backstage tour so anyway I forget about this <laughs> Call me back, 716. So I'm at, I'm, I'm at Calvin Klein working. I had having just a real shitty day because um, Calvin Klein is like mean girls and like it's color, like um, certain outfits, certain days of the week. So like whatever day I was there, you were supposed to wear all black and I was wearing white and black and that must have been for Wednesdays, not Fridays. Or And like they were like, well, you look like a waiter today. I'm like, well, clearly on Friday or Wednesdays and we all look like waiters when we're wearing this. So anyway, I'm so frustrated. My phone rings. 
and I'm not able to answer it because they were like militant at this store. Check the voicemail. It's you. It's Patricia Phillips going like, hi, Jimmy. This is Patricia Phillips from Phantom on Broadway. I got your note. Yes, I would love to give you a tour. I Give me a call back. We'll set it up. Like, and I remember checking the voicemail in the break room and like crying. Like I just that oh. someone's kindness that I, I had not anticipated. Like, yes, I wrote the letter, but I don't think I had anticipated hearing back. And then the night I was supposed to see you in it, you were so gracious again. You called me and you're like, hi, I had to call out, but the late great Chris Coop, you know, is is on as Carlotta tonight. And um so then flash forward, you started following um the social media and then we reconnected for a reading and I'm like funny story i'm like we actually were supposed to meet like 10 plus years ago so long story short um that's how we were supposed to meet this is how we've now met and i'm so grateful so um yeah well and it's thanks to your reading with jason because jason jason forbach is a dear friend we've actually done we did another performance we did south south pacific outside of uh phantom so that was really fun. We did that with the Harrisburg Symphony. Yes, I saw him him posting about that. How did Phantom come about for you? Um, well, I was in the original cast of um, The Secret Garden. I was the original Aya, and um, and so I was doing that show. And I had I had a friend who had also gone to Carnegie Mellon who was in Phantom at the time, Gary Lindemann. Okay. And Gary kept saying to me, you are perfect for Carlotta. you got to be Carlotta. And I have to be honest with you, I had no idea what that meant. Who is Carlotta? But it I kept coming to me from all these different places. you got to sing Carlotta. You've got to do Carlotta. And so I just sort of put two and two together, and I did not have representation. That's a whole other Jimmy medianship. Episode part show. two. <laughs> Me and representation. And um, so I decided I would go to um, a call for a show that I knew I wasn't right for, but it was the casting office that was also casting Phantom at the time. And I was singing, I everything I did in um, Secret Garden was very, very low. Um, and um, I was like, I, I've, they've got to hear me sing some high notes. And so that's what I did. I went into an audition for, it was um, the revival of Guys and Dolls with Nathan, Nathan Lane and Megan Lane Mullally. And Faith Prince. Yeah. And so I just went oh, in Megan. and I sang and they were like, we thought you were an alto. And I was like, I know. And so very, very long story short, they're like, how high do you sing? And I was like, high. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I got a call. I'm literally like within a couple of months to audition for the Canadian national tour. And I booked Carlotta. And that was in 1992. You've got to be acutely aware going into the show that you are the first person of color to play the role. So what is it? What does it feel like then? And, and even now to know that you were kind of trailblazing for Phantom? Well, I, I have to be honest with you. There is this strange element of being a light-skinned black person that, um, and again, this is 1992. We weren't talking about this stuff the way that we're talking about it now. Sure. And so I was I was cast in things as sort of this ethnic Italian person. 
Um, so there was really no chatter about me being black. Now, when, you know, when people and I were talking, I was, you know, I was very, very frank about, you know, that I was part African-American. It's only recently, like in the last, I would say, five years that you can get those DNA tests to see how much you are. But, I mean, I grew up, again, I was born in 1963. I have a birth certificate that says father Negro, mother white. And so I was like, I'm half black and I'm half white. And you talk to the hairdressers and they're like, yes, your hair is right down the middle. Yeah. So, um, so it really wasn't... It wasn't, I mean, I just got the role because I could do it well. And um, now it's a much bigger deal. Now it's like, now we realize that I was a trailblazer and, you know, and then in Kinky Boots as well. So it's, um, with all of that said, I am so proud and I know that, you know, I'm being lifted up by, you know, you hear this all the time by the ancestors or whatever. And, um, and I'm a tough girl. Like I, I am, I'm a cancer. So I am a mush on the inside, but I'm tough on the outside, but I have a heart that is just mushy and loving and kind. And, um, but I can, I can stand up for myself. Yeah. I can, you know, and I think it was important that there was somebody like me that, was in this position that could say, wait a minute, that's not right. Or that's not fair or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing. And you know, there's that, I don't even, I think it's like, is it called colorism? I'm colorism. Sure, but... My students were just presenting on this because one of my students is a person of color and she was talking about the prejudice within the community at times of, well, you know, you're dark, you know, you're, um, you are much darker than we are. And she was even talking about clothing companies and she was like, well, I'm lighter. So like people wouldn't bat an eye if I shopped at J crew, but if my you know good friend who it was fascinating and eye opening, and I'm so grateful for, for that discussion that we had. Yeah. So I, I benefited from colorism, colorism to a certain extent, although as I say, I, there was never a moment that I wasn't candid about that. Um, yeah. And you know, and and the beat goes on. It's uh, it's really relevant now. People are like, "Wow, that is so cool." Um, anyway, so lucky me. How do you break down that character? Like, who is Carlotta to you? Well, Jimmy, <laughs> this is goes to our reading. Can I can yes. I dive in there for go just for a it. sec? Yeah, you go for it. So this is what you said to me, and um, and it is true. You were like. Trisha, you almost like channel your mom. Did say that. And that's who I'm channeling when I'm playing Carlotta. So, you know, I grew up with this mom who was born and raised in Italy, who had an Italian accent and she was fire. And, um, and so that's, I'm absolutely, you know, hearing her in my mind's ear and, um, yeah, and uh, and standing up for herself. My parents had a very fraught relationship, very um, very physically violent relationship, and she was much smaller than my dad, but she stood up for herself. And so, I feel very like that. That's a gift that she gave me. It's an end in the world of being a woman. It's a blessing and a curse because if you're 
a guy and you're tough and you stand up for yourself, that's a man. He's got balls. But if you're a woman, what a fucking What a bitch. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I and never I have, thought of that. That has been the path that I have gone down. When at the end of the day, I'm just standing up for myself and saying, no, I won't be treated that way. Don't treat me that way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's anyway. I never thought of that 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 way with Carlotta really standing up for herself because it is interesting when she doesn't. I thought of you earlier today too because I was thinking about the pandemic and how if while Phantom takes place in you know what 1800s, what that would do. I'm thinking like, wow, what a time to you know with with actors being out of work during the pandemic, my brain thought of Carlotta and I'm like, look at in another way. She's like, I'm not going to be edged out. You know, like this is, this is her job. This is her paycheck. And so there were so many things that I just, that just resonated with me in a way that I, I hadn't thought of before, you know, other, other circumstances, like the financial circumstances for Car- Carlotta, the fact that she really hasn't done anything wrong other than being tough, you know, and I, I hated in the movie that I don't I don't know if you remember, but in the movie they really made it like she was not a good vocalist. You know what I mean? Whenever she would hit those notes, you'd see the managers like cringe. But when these gorgeous notes are coming out, uh, and um, can you give us any fun fact that you've learned about that people might not normally catch, or even like your biggest diehard fan might not know about Carlotta or about the show? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't, mm. I, you know, the, the phantom fans, they know way more. They know everything. They know everything. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think that I'm the person to, I know what my personal fun facts are and what my favorite things are. What are the hardest things for me all the way back to when I was in the secret garden, when I was in the secret garden, I played the Aya and the Aya uh, wore a sari. And so I was literally wearing sort of like these pajama pants and like, you know, this tunic top. And then I had the sari wrapped around me. But all the other women in the show had these beautiful ball gowns that had, you know, you know, sequins and little flowers. And they were, you know, just gorgeous. And I was like, I'm in my pajama pants on Broadway. And I was like, the next show I'm in, I'm going to have some costumes. Gowns. And the next show I was in, I was in these that 50 pound costume that the show starts yeah um and with that said i love those costumes and yes they are very heavy but i there's never been a moment where i'm like oh i'm always like put some more beads on it please i i love it and so that that is always a thrill for me well yes we understand that it's a very hard sing there's it just and every time she comes out there, she is screaming and yelling. So it is a really emotional, like, bulldozer getting through that show. And, um, but speaking of costumes, Carlotta has, I think, six costumes, six or seven costumes. And one of the changes she does is on stage. So when she goes from the um, manager's one, was my that one oh. and it blacks out into il muto to il muto and so whoever's playing so literally the lights go out you're in the dark you're you're blind because there's been a spotlight in your eye and you have to make your way <laughs> far st- stage left and up and around the bed where there is literally a team of 
two hair people and two uh, wardrobe people who are whipping, getting you out of one costume and into a an, an costume and wig. A wig. It's like two mm-hmm. feet high. Yeah. And so it's this, it's this entire team getting you ready. And it's, I think it's less than two minutes. Um, so there's that. And uh, so it's just running and running and screaming and yelling and running and screaming and yelling and changing costumes. And so it's funny because when other people, like particularly the managers, love to make fun of Carlotta when she calls in sick. They're like, oh, yeah, she's out of the show again. And I'm like, and you wear one costume in the entire show. So (laughs) you have no idea how difficult that part is. And that's it. You know, until you've actually done the role, it's, it's very difficult to understand how taxing it is well it's physically. interesting that there's a christine alternate and there is no carlotta alternate given and i mean can i ask how like if and, and i know it's a strange question to ask because i mean i think of like that opening cadenza that she does i mean literally the first thing that's sung for the most part other than Rawls couple notes mm-hmm. where you're like crouched on a floor as the backdrops are being lifted and then you're hitting these e6s and I, I'm sure, like, I know there's, like, options where if you're not feeling it that night, you can go down. But is it a pride thing? Like, where, did you always be like, I'm going to try to gun for that note tonight? Or were there moments where you're like, nope, be smart, pull back, and go to the sea? You know what I mean? Or things like that. Yeah, I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> now, and I have to say, Jimmy, and, I will, and I've said this and I say it to everyone, I am fortunate. My voice lives up there. That's just... Yeah. That's just, I can roll out of the bed in the morning and sing high notes. Wow. That's just how I'm made. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I didn't have, have to option down. I will, I will put that clip up because thank sweet baby Jesus. The clip of you exists on YouTube. And I was like gripping my couch. I was like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then right on the, what, the, what new surprises lie in whatever it is. when you hit that note, you I was like, go too far. I was like dripping. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> oh, you're very kind. Well, we got a great question for, for you that they, they that I know I can piggyback off of. So, And it's a great segue because of Carlotta with her being you know, a little diva, the original divas live in like the 1800s. But um, somebody had asked if you could talk about, I'm just looking at my notes, ego. Does it belong in the theater? And is there such a thing as a healthy ego? Is ego necessary? So I thought it would be so great to get your your feet, like your input on this. Well, I guess we, it, it's a bit of a loaded question, isn't it? Is it, uh, is it allowed? Is it necessary? I think there, I think we can talk about ego in a couple of ways. I think, I feel like the way it's presented in this question it's uh, it almost comes across as like, is it okay to be sort of full of yourself or um, uh, and uh, I, I feel like the question is posing it as a sort of a negative thing. And so I would like to counter it and say, I don't think anybody who is in a Broadway show at some level is not aware of their talent or aware of, um, their drive, their passion that has gotten them into a Broadway show. 
Now, what, what does one call that? Do we call that ego? Do we call that confidence? Do we call that um, cockiness? And to me, I feel like there's a very, there's a very clear distinction between being confident and being um, cocky or, you know, conceited, which I feel like that's almost what the question is, is leaning towards. But I, there's no way I could, there's no way you could go into a theater and get up in front of, you know, thousands of people if you didn't have some level of confidence about what you're doing. Um, so, and so if that's, if that's healthy ego, then I do think that it's necessary. Otherwise, and people do have, people have succumb to having, you know, anxiety issues um, over that. And so that's why I feel like, to me, being confident or having any, I don't, it's confidence to yeah. me. It's, uh, and it's not, again, cockiness. It's like, do I've been cast in this and I, they've heard me sing the notes. I know I have these notes. I've done this number of times go. So I feel it's like, like the same with you with um, like understanding, you know, what happens at Lilydale and what, you know, it, it's sort of the same thing, you know, I, I, I think. I, I agree. You know, there, there are times where, goodness you as a medium you do have to have a confidence because you can't go in there going like i don't know i I have a woman here and um don't get mad at me if i'm wrong about this but maybe this is your mom if it's not your mom i'm really sorry no you you do have to lead with this okay i i have a strong female energy here um energy feels a little aggressive feels very confident feels um this feels like a mom. If, if it's not a mom, this this would have been a mother figure to you. You know, there's, and I always say too, I don't even like to say I'm good at what I do. I used to, I, because I would rather go by my skill and I would go, I am skilled at what I do because there is so many times people think that mediumship is, uh, please don't take this the wrong way. They call it like a gift. I don't like that term. I think anyone can do this. I think it is a skill. Like, I, I don't mean this. I mean, you had to train at Carnegie Mellon. Like, yes, you had that natural ability, as did I with, with my mediumship, but you have to train. And so yes. I think for me where it would start to border on cockiness would be, I got this. I don't need to meditate today. I'm just going to go in and whatever happens, happens. And that's an error. That's where I think it would it would go into cockiness. Um, but, I you know, there, there does have to be a confidence there because... If not, if I do start to feel really crummy about myself again, that's, I will wall up. I will wall up and somebody will get a, a, a bum reading. So it's a real delicate balance. I think daily, you know, even I gained weight during the pandemic, even my self-esteem stuff, I have to go, okay, this has nothing to do with this person's reading today. You know what I mean? And I, there's so many different lines that you have to walk simultaneously during a reading. And then, you know, and if, if you do really give like a, bang on reading like this idea of the next one you can't you have to just go okay i i liken it to reading that of sheet music and it's i just go okay i read the music exactly as it was written i played it correctly where's the next piece of sheet music because if i go in like oh i can't go in pretending i wrote that piece of music i didn't you know what i mean that's for me if we're trying to, to bridge the gap cockiness for me would be like well i wrote that i i came up with that's not me. I'm just listening in and, and putting my, taking my confidence, but putting the cocky ego part, you know, not bringing that in. 
And I'll piggyback on, I can't go to the theater and just put the costume on and sing. I go to the theater and I stretch and I warm up and I practice between these shows. So, and again, because I know that it's a skill and if you don't, if you're not fine tuning it all the time, you know, yeah. then it's not going to be there. And I think that would be uh, ego gone bad if I was like, yeah, I can do this. Exactly as you said. Yeah. So. How long do you have to warm up for if you're going on as Carlotta, let's say? I have developed a pretty standard routine. And so I know that within about 10 minutes, I I know where I am locally. And, um, and I also know if I'm sick or if I'm just enough under the weather that if there's like allergies or something, my cords are a little swollen, there are certainly times where, you know, you have to take 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 the night off because you risk making it worse and losing three days of work rather than Bingo. just taking the one night off. Um, but in terms of like my whole warm up thing, I would say I give myself, I like to be in the theater an hour before half hour, even if I'm doing an ensemble thing. So I have the time to stretch and I have the time to hydrate and I have the time to vocalize. So I like to vocalize the minute I get there, like, all right, yeah. everything's in place. But then again, very quickly before I actually go on stage. So I'm not just like after an hour, now I'm singing, so. And then I guess to piggyback off of so many piggybacks we've done, I guess for you, cause for me, so for example, somebody asked me before, before you read a client, do you have to connect? Do you have to start to feel all tingly and just connect with your own before and, and the answer is no. I mean, I might do a quick meditation or I, I call it sitting in the power where I, I just, I know I'm ready to go, but it's not like, um, it's not like I have to start to communicate with them early before the client gets there. At the start of the show, it's got to be a stylistic choice. After they announce like who the show is being conducted by and the lights dim, it's got to be stylistic. You hear just like hubbub. Do you know what I'm talking about before the before the gavel? Is what is that for? Just to set the tone? Like what's the artistic intent behind that? So you realize that you're in a public place and just it's set it's exactly what you said. It sets the tone of that you know, it's low, it's not excited, it's low, it's kind of scary, you don't know quite what's going on. Hal Prince used to direct that scene, he was he wanted us to be underwater, so that even when, you know, soul, boom, and then the ensemble is like they're underwater. So nobody's going, it's all like very, like there's water between your hands. So I think that, um, Seth is doing it a little differently now, but that it, it's supposed to absolutely take you into this place of like, what is going on? And yeah. Are yeah. those ghosts? Are those people? And then the lights come up on people. And it's like, oh, where are those people? So it's definitely, and it is a track. It's just a track. We are not, nobody is actually speaking on stage. The mics are not on at that point. Oh. That's a sound effect. I don't know if that's what you'd call it, but. Yeah, I had, I had wondered that, you know, because I was watching some interview with Jillian Lynn, and there were moments where I'm like, maybe I don't understand this show. Like, Jillian Lynn's, you know, talking about the Phantom, you know, where, you know, he's on, she's like, you know, he's grabbing the portcullis, and Christine brushes past him, and it's probably the first time she's felt an erection. I was like, what is happening? Have you seen this, Patricia, this interview? Well, I have not, but 
I think, doesn't everybody think that he and Christine, like, did it? I was like, have I been viewing yes. this show wrong the whole time? <laughs> well, I don't know if you have or haven't, but I've even heard that. I mean, that huh. whole scene is just about sex. Sex. I mean, the, the lyrics, definitely. But, huh. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be texting you like Patricia at like midnight. I have a new question. Answer when you can. Um, when so... did Christine first feel? <laughs> I just sent you like an eggplant emoji next to that emoji. that <laughs> the, the emoji that we've been using. The... <laughs> and I would send back a... And then a... Like a line smile. <laughs> I would just send you like a monkey and like a music note just to mess with you. <laughs> the eggplant though. <laughs> You're never going to think of that moment the same way again. Never. <laughs> I get like a cease and desist from phantom management. They're like, please remove this part of your podcast. <laughs> they might. They very well might. Jillian Lynn comes to me in like a vision. She's like, get rid of that. Um, well, she I would get, not. She would love it. She, oh my God, I know the old nipples firing thing that I, I had read about. And some of these notes are just like crazy, but they make sense. You know, they, they make sense about, you know, leading from the chest and but like the fembots. So uh, exactly, exactly. If uh, you teach, you teach at Penn yeah. State. And mm-hmm. I was just watching this, this really interesting documentary about about mediumship. And it was talking about the evolution of, of what is taught. And I, I'd love to, to pick your brain, like from when you studied to how you're teaching now or what you see students being taught is it primarily the same? I mean, or are there like huge differences that you're noticing? And if, or, and if they, if there are big differences, are you pleased with the improvements or you're like, I think we got to go back to old school on this. That's a really, really good question. Um, and it's very interesting because the different schools that I've taught at have definitely had different, uh, pedagogies that they, that they, prescribed to or ascribed to. I'm not sure what word to use there. Um, And what I love about Penn State is that they absolutely base the voice in a classical um, training so that every student, even in the musical theater program, is learning a couple of art songs every year, every semester and every year. And I can attest to that having sung high notes and warming up into my, even when I was doing kinky boots, I was warming up into my head, head, head voice to keep it all balanced out. And so luckily Penn State is down with that. There are definitely schools that are like, no, we, they, we don't need to, we don't need to do that. And for me, it's just a muscle thing. It's really about the vocal folds are muscles <laughs> and you got to stretch them. And that is going to provide long, that's going to, you'll have a longer uh, career and you'll have more flexibility to your voice. The difference are the additional styles that we're teaching now, because it's so much going down the road of pop and rock in terms of musical theater on Broadway. Um, But still, Phantom is the one that's been there for 33 years. And so I, my... And so I, I'm actually really loving that part because we do expect the students there to have many facets to their voice, that they aren't like, oh, well, I sing soprano and that's it. Or I just 
felt mix and that's like felt mix which one splitting hairs it depends on who you're talking to if you're belting or mixing so and i try to be very non-binary i'm like where do you feel that where's where, <laughs> where's that resonating good remember that that's what we need to do call yeah. it whatever you want to call it i don't care but um so i find that it is it's great for me personally because I enjoy teaching the newer music. I enjoy learning the newer music. Um, and I also enjoy that I have the career that I've had and I can say to my students, I'm still singing. I'm still performing on Broadway. Yeah. I haven't lost any of my range. We're going to sing some high notes. And I kid you not, everybody that's, they've done it, we've all discovered, you know, how much how much that has brought to their voices in terms of balancing their voices out. So, um, so I'm just really very, very, very lucky that I landed where I landed at Penn state and there they do it the way that I've always done it. And, uh, and you know, they know what they're doing there. So they keep cranking out the folks. So I always say good training never really, never really changes too much, you know, solid training and technique is, I mean, this, the same thing kind of works with mediumship. There, certain things have evolved with mediumship. Like before, it used to be, and I, it used to be believed where when you trained as a medium that your guide was essentially like the old game of telephone. So it was like mm-hmm. you and then your guide above you. It was like a linear. And then let's say the spirit that is trying to talk and they would be like, uh, let's say my guide's name is Anne, the the dead person's name was Peter. Peter would be like, hey, Anne, do tell Jimmy this, and Anne Anne would be like, bip, 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 bip. now it's very that's an outmoded school of thought. Now it's kind of like a oh. little, um, like a little triangle basically where spirits here, my guides here, I'm here, and it's I, I say it's like a little Zoom call so to speak where if like I need help on something, I can just look at and I'm I'm looking right now. I'm looking to the right where I normally make my guide hang out. If I need something, I'm like, I don't understand this. My guide will intervene really quick. So it's kind of like a three-way. There's another thing that got outmoded with mediumship was um, physical mediumship, which, so really fascinating story. So for example, like ectoplasm, you had all these phony Mm -hmm. mediums back in the 1800s and 1900s that were doing the, um, the tables that would be moving. They actually had kids that used to hang out in the walls of homes during seances and they would tie apples to um, strings. And so when they would be like, John, are you there? Give us a sign. The kids would know and they would run through the walls with the apples. And then sometimes they would, um, and uh, Lilydale back in the 1800s allowed physical mediumship until Houdini was so obsessed with what was going on with this community that Houdini started going there and like debunking all of these mediums. So in the dead of winter, Houdini's like knocking on doors and no one's answering. They're like, fuck no. Like we're not letting Houdini in because he was publicizing which ones he was catching because you know, Houdini's a magician and he's like, if I'm going to call out the fellow magicians here. So now Lily Dell where I, they, they don't allow physical mediumship. I've never, I've never seen it in, in twenty, in the, excuse me, in the ten years that I've been doing it, I've never seen physical mediumship. I've, I've never seen transmogrification. Like, remember in Ghosts where he's like, "Oh, Tisha, what'd you do to your hair, girl?" And I've, yeah. I've never seen that done. I, I, never. If it's autumn sunrise, Orlando, uh, I, one of my, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. We you know where Whoopi's like, 
baby girl, I can't see you. I have never seen that done by a medium. You know, never. I, I don't even, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's, I mean, if, if I can, I don't even think it's possible. Um, if I, I mean, <laughs> no. I've seen it done. I've seen it done. What? Yeah. No one's getting in, the, no one's getting like, in this body. Get out of here. Where? Um, did you believe it though? Like, did, did like. I, you know what? This, they have that particular person. I, I don't want to say it on no, camera. No, I will certainly talk to you about it sure. afterward. But apparently it still has a big, actually, I don't know right now. They had a huge following. And yeah. Wow. Oh, we'll, we'll talk after, but I have. I, and I, I was like the whole time, like. Yeah. I've never seen it done. Never. Um, okay. Never, never, never. And again, who knows? Just my personal opinion, I, I don't. No. I mean, that, that, that's just me. And <laughs> I guess in a, as a way of protecting myself, no. no. Like, like I, I love what I do as a medium, but like, I'm not, no. So I read you, what, two months ago? Something like that. I, I, yeah, I guess. Uh, can we talk about your your reading? Like anything that you feel comfortable talking about that that stood out to you, or whatever you want to share. Um. Well, as I mentioned before, the the when you like right away, you like you know connected with my mother and her energy and how powerful that is, and you're like you, you and you actually use the word. I feel like you channel, channel her a lot, and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Like I'm literally, I'll be walking around my house. She used to say to us when we were really little, and again, she was from Italy, and, and she would say, if we fell down or she had to help us in some way, she'd say, oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. And that was, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. So to this day, like I'm rubbing my cats, and I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious, you're so pretty. Or the other thing was that she would make a shopping list, and she would write the word, not napkin, but she'd add a G at the end. So to this day, my sisters and I talk about, we need napkins. Napkins. Because that's what she would say, <laughs> napkin. And what else? And she also, which is a very Italian thing, they would put H's in front of like um, vowels. So she would always talk about apples. You want apples, a apple pie or whatever. Um, so that was, it was very interesting because I was like, wow. Like, I definitely do that. I walk around my house, like, talking like my mom, like, yeah. okay, what do we want to have? And so it's <laughs> interesting that you totally picked up on that. And you said some nice stuff about my son. Oh, um, yeah. I remember one thing that stood out to me. Your dad was around barnyard animals, and I asked why. And I guess, and the other thing that, that came up, and I, I, guess, I always like to mention things, too, if somebody is, like, a medium in training, because all of our symbols are so different, so... But for me, if I know that somebody is divorced, they will put a line down the middle. So for me, line means either divorce or it means, for some odd reason, physical separation. So when I read somebody, I was like, uh, if I'm talking with a person, like if I'm talking between you and dad and I see the line, that would mean estrangement, which I, you know, I didn't, but I saw it between the two of them, which would have meant that they were divorced. But I was like, why is he around like sheep and like barn animals and didn't you say he was rural or something? Yeah, he grew up and they they raised pigs. That, that was, was it. what. Yeah, they raised pigs, and uh, I re I remember like when we'd go to visit him in Virginia, not him. He would take us from Colorado 
to Virginia to visit his family because they wouldn't come out to visit us. I, that's a whole other thing. And it's funny because that's sort of the dynamic I'm living now too is I take my son to visit my sisters. It, anyway, um, so yeah, that's... He grew up very rurally and, and in the middle of the Depression. He was born in 1931. Wow. And so... And in the South. So it was... Uh, yeah. You know, he, he definitely... I remember so clearly, there was one, the other thing in the reading that I mentioned to you before, I think we started uh, recording was you said there was something in my kitchen that was like my mom's or something. There's something in the, in your kitchen that's, you know, your mom is like, she's pointing to it and that's about her. And I was like, no, Jimmy, you're wrong. (laughs) And then right after the reading, I went into my kitchen and I saw my my Better Homes and Gardens red and white cookbook. And I was like, glaring oh. at you. <laughs> Staring at me. Like, like, wait, it was like, <laughs> that's what it was doing. Um, so yeah, my dad went through some really, really hard stuff. And I, you know what? Now that I'm a parent, I get it. I remember one time we were out at a McDonald's kids and a homeless person walked up to us asking for money. My dad, flipped out he screamed at this wise guy and he was like get away from my family now and at that moment i was like he's a madman that was in the 1970s we weren't that far out of jim crow and he was raising four daughters yeah and a wife he was the man so what that what i was experiencing and i do that from him too when i get afraid i get mad i go into fight or flight so rather than cry I like, no, 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 no. And that's what my dad did too. So I I just, and I've said this about him before. He put four of us through college and he worked for the post office. And yeah, I mean, and one of my sisters has a master's degree and he did that on a postal worker salary and, you know, bought a house and left us money and, you know, not a ton of money, but. So it's just, you know, it's wow. pretty incredible that he was able to do all of that. Um, you said something so funny about, about your mom, and it's my nanny. Um, so my mom's mom, who, who who's deceased, she, I just think she was making shit up. Like, I don't think this was an Italian word. She used to call my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, again, made it up. She would always say cat cucina. So correct me if I'm wrong. This is not a word, right? Because I'm like, well, wait. I'm like, Cucina, that my kitchen like cat kitchen i was like what the hell I, she didn't know italian at all um but so the running joke now is we're like remember when she would call you just like cat kitchen but she would say it in like an italian name like i don't think these were real italian words that she was saying i have no idea what that one is she said oh yeah she literally said it meant nani's angel and i was like i i don't think that's a real i don't think that's nani's angel i think that's cat kitchen kitchen <laughs> Like you're a cat in my kitchen in, driving me crazy. In the cuisine. Yeah, like uh, that's apparently it. So, um, apparently. And now it's time for some last minute questions. If you were stuck as a ghost in a theater and could only watch the same musical over and over for all of eternity, what show would you pick? Sweeney Todd. That's my favorite show of all time. And my top five are Sweeney Todd, Once on this Island. 1776 
believe it or not, is one of my absolute faves. Any character that you've played that would benefit most from a medium? Abuela? I don't know. I don't know if Abuela needs a medium. She No, Abuela does need a medium because she's like, her mom taught her how to do everything except for live her dream. Like she, that's the, ay mama, what do you do when your dreams come true? So her mom taught her to pray and have patience and faith, have patience and faith, have patience and faith. She needed to know that that was going to happen. Like your patience and faith is going to pay off. off. Thank you again for being my guest. Be well. I can't wait to support you on October 22nd. And um, folks at home, I will see you soon as well. Bye-bye. Thank you you again. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about mediumship, please feel free to check out my website, www.stagestormedium.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter or book a reading for yourself. Feel free to check out my Instagram at StageStormedium or subscribe to my YouTube channel by the same name, StageStormedium. Thanks so much, be well, and we'll see you next week.